But anyway, again, Theology Thursday live, just repentance. I uh, hope to do some interviews while I'm in Haiti with some of the ministry leaders and maybe some of the people, church members down there, different um, things are going on down there. It's a very interesting place to be. The gospel is uh, readily heard. There's a voodoo demon worship that takes place there. And um, but there's uh, people who are just secular too, and then there's strong Christians there. It's very um, uh, encouraging place to be. So yeah, I hope I can get some video put up, and um, we're gonna do some start doing more um, interviews with different people too around here. But I think maybe start with some people down in in Haiti down there. So I'm looking forward to that. So let's hit this. We're in chapter nine. We're we're closing in on the um, end of this book. Um, this is a good one. I've uh, read this earlier and I really enjoyed it. It says, if any say they have repented, well, I guess I should say the title of the chapter first. It's the trial of our repentance and comfort for the penitent. Okay, so he's going to say, how do you know? He's covered this a little bit before, but he, he hits this again about, okay, you repented, you have this, um, uh, you, how do you know it's genuine? So here we go. If any shall say they've repented, let me desire them to try themselves seriously by those seven adjuncts or effects of repentance which the apostle lays down in 2 Corinthians 7.11. So let's take a look real quick at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, which is... <clears throat> For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Okay, so let's back up a verse. For godly grief, rep- for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, so you got these two differences. For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So these people are earnest. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So, um, he's, what he's going to hit. First he uses this uh, word, what carefulness. Um, the Greek word signifies a, solicita- a solicitous diligence. So you're really trying hard or a kef- careful shunning all temptations to sin. Okay, so very careful to try to, any anything that might tempt you to sin, you're very careful to try to just, no, I, I won't do that. I won't go there. I won't. Um, the true penitent, the person who's truly sorry for their sins, flies from sin as Moses did from the serpent. So, yeah, using an analogy there. So, you know, flying from sin, we should run from it. Two, clearing ourselves. They cleared themselves. Uh, The Greek word is apology, which is apologia. The sense is this. I mean, it meant it's the it's, if you do apologetics, you're giving an answer for something. We make it. We apologize for something. We say we're sorry, but really, um, the word comes from the apologia, which means to give a reason for, to give a defense for what you believe or what you've done. I guess it could be. Um, this is the sense. Though we have much care, yet through strength of temptation we may slip into sin. Okay, so you can be very careful, but because temptation is strong, you might still slip into sin. Now, in this case, the repenting soul will not lie sin, will net, 
Let's try that again. Now, in this case, the repenting soul will not let sin lie festering in his conscience, but judges himself for his sin. He pours out tears before the Lord. He begs mercy in the name of Christ and never leaves till he has gotten his pardon. Here he is cleared of guilt in his conscience and is able to make an apology for himself against Satan. So he's able to say to Satan, I'm forgiven of this. I've, I've, I've confessed it. I've, I've, I've dug in deep with it. I've gone to the Lord. Um, I admit it's wrong. It's terrible. And I did it and I own it. But I've been forgiven. I've been set free. I can move forward and forward in the grace of God. Um, and then three, indignation. Um, so if somebody's indignant, they just, so that's what we're going to see. He that repents of sin, his spirit rises against it as one's blood rises at the sight of him who he mortally hates. Okay, so you've got like a Clemson fan shows up and then you're just like, oh, and your blood just, just kidding, because Stan's watching, you know, but you know how it is. You see somebody just irks your nerves and, and it's sinful that you think that way about some people, but you know, it's just, ooh, you, you, you you know, I guess with politics, we, you know, how bad it is we can hate people, you know, because of politics. Indignation is a being fretted at the heart with sin. So it hurts my heart. Okay, it's, you're indignant about your sin. It hurts your heart. The penitent is vexed with himself. There's a word we don't use much anymore. He's vexed with himself. David calls himself a fool and a beast. God is, in Psalm 73, God is never better pleased with us than when we fall out with ourselves in sin. So we're upset with ourselves over sin, and God is pleased with us, he says. Four, fear. A tender heart is ever a trembling heart. The penitent, again, the repentant person, the penitent has felt sin's bitterness. Um, he is afraid to lose God's favor, which is better than life. A repenting person fears and sins not. A graceless person sins and fears not. So a repentant person fears and then doesn't sin. A graceless person just sins and doesn't care. It doesn't mean you don't think, you don't believe you're saved. It doesn't mean you're not believing in grace. But you recognize the sinfulness of sin. You recognize the heinousness of sin, the wretchedness, the the odiousness, the uncleanness, the the, the, that it merits your damnation and you still do it even though you are saved. Um, and so it's used to fear that maybe God might remove his good pleasure from you for a time. I mean, a fatherly pleasure. He might, you know, out of a means of um, reclaiming you to righteousness and holiness because sin, the wages of sin is death. And who knows how many people you're harming with your sin too. And if God loves you, he'll discipline you. And one of the ways he might discipline you is to remove the, the sense of his pleasure from you. Um, he, he's never, you know, legally, he loves you. Um, he, it, it, he isn't removing his favor from you as far as salvation and and your adoption and, and all these, your salvation goes. But um, if he loves us, he'll discipline us, and this can be a way so we should fear that. Five, vehement desire. Uh, what does the penitent desire? He desires more power against sin and to be released from it. It is true, he has got loose from Satan, but he goes as a prisoner that has broken out of prison with a fetter on his leg. A fetter. It's like you got a chain still on your leg. You're free, but you're still dragging that ball and chain. Dr. Bumgarner and 
Dylan had this, and I want one. Anybody? Say, it, was a, it was a chain with a ball, a ball and chain. It would, it would lock onto your leg. It was, it was pretty cool. You could put it on. It's like you see, it's just like sin, just easily that weighs you down. Uh, he cannot walk with that freedom and swiftness in the ways of God. He desires, therefore, to have the fetters of sin taken off. He just want a vehement desire to be free from your sin. Um, six, zeal. Desire and zeal are fitly put together to show that true desire puts forth itself in zealous endeavor. Like you're really trying, you know, you really want to live um, um, Christ-like. How does he take, and, and it well, he gets into, so are you talking about legalism? Do we do this in order to be able to be, they have God love us more, that we can be saved? He's going to talk about this after this. Um, zeal, the desire and zeal are fitly put together to show that true desire puts forth itself in zealous endeavor. How does he take the kingdom of heaven by force? That's Matthew eleven twelve. That's an interesting thing to read. Zeal quickens the pursuit after glory quickens the pursuit. It awakens it. It goes quicker. Um, zeal encountering difficulty is emboldened by opposition and tramples upon danger. That's cool. So if you're zealous and things get in your way, you just try harder. You know, it's like if, if the if a team is zealous to win, if they're, you know, they have that momentum going, then the difficulties just make them try harder. So if we're going to be zealous then uh, when we encounter difficulties, and this is the hot Christian too, you know, as opposed to being cold or lukewarm, difficulties should just embolden us. And, and um, zeal makes a repenting soul persist in godly sorrow against all discouragements and opposition whatsoever. As fear is a bridle to sin, so zeal is a spur to duty. That's pretty cool. I like that. So fear of God might make you strain you, but this zeal for righteousness is spur you on to, to do things. So seven, revenge. Um, a true penitent pursues his sins with a holy malice. Okay, a hatred. Um, he crucifies his lusts, so you go after these sins as if you hate them. All right, so now he adds this, a necessary caution. This is good. Not that at all isn't good. All right, <clears throat> such as have solemnly repented of their sins, let me speak to them by way of caution. All right, you're really repentant? Now you got this caution. Um, Though repentance be so necessary and excellent, as you have heard, Yet take heed that you do not ascribe too much to repentance. Okay, so it's like it is good, it is necessary, but don't you know ascribe, don't um, um, put too much credit to it. Don't. So he'll explain it in a bit. Anytime you can't, you don't understand a word, look it up. I don't have time right now. If you just keep reading, sometimes that word will make sense to you. Um, the papists are guilty of a double error. Okay, 1600s, they called Catholics papists. Uh, this was Reformation people. They uh, um, were, you know, having a hard time with the Roman Catholic Church. So they make repentance a sacrament. He says, Christ never made it so. And who may institute sacraments, but who can give virtue to them? So only Christ can institute a sacrament. Uh, repentance can be no sacrament because it lacks an outward sign. A sacrament cannot properly be without a sign. That's academic little argument there, too. The papists make repentance meritorious. Now, this is what we have to be careful of. You're making it meritorious. It merits something. Your repentance earns you something from God. Um, they say it does ex congruo. Um, altogether, fittingly, it merits pardon. 
Um, this is a gross error. Indeed, repentance fits us for mercy. As the plow, when it breaks up the ground, fits it for the seed, so when the heart is broken up by repentance, it is fitted for remission, but it does not merit it. God will not save us without repentance, nor yet for it. Okay, he's not going to save you. Your repentance isn't what saves you, is what he's saying. Repentance is a necessary, but it's a saving grace from God. Even your repentance, he's going to get into this too, but he's just saying if your repentance isn't the reason God saves you. It did, um, your repentance even comes from God. He says, I, I grant repenting Excuse me. I grant repenting tears are precious. Okay, they are precious, precious to God. But yet, tears are not satisfactory for sin. We drop sin with our tears, therefore they cannot satisfy. Okay, so your tears, your sorrow, isn't going to pay for your sin. Um, no matter how sorry somebody is for breaking some law, um, unless they receive mercy uh, or grace, um, they have to pay the penalty for the law. It doesn't pay. The penalty is not you being sorry. Um, so even and we we drop sin, John Owen puts it like this. He says, um, even our tears of repentance have to be washed by the blood of Christ. So even our tears of repentance are mixed with sin. We please God by repentance but we do not satisfy him by it. Okay, so he's pleased with our repentance, but it doesn't satisfy justice. To trust to our repentance is to make it a savior. That's okay. So if you're trusting in your repentance, you make it a savior. Also, you're, you, you'll see your repentance never strong enough. Did you repent over everything? If you repent fully. So a lot of people are like, you didn't really repent because you still do this sin. So it's like, I'm not trusting in my repentance. My repentance is a fruit of salvation. It's a fruit of God working in my heart. I should be repenting, but it's not my Savior. Um, this is important stuff. A lot of people don't get this. This is a lot of people don't think things through, and they don't think things through biblically, and then you end up with some kind of righteous um, salvation by works if you if you aren't careful, saying all the right things but believing the, the wrong things. Though repentance helps to purge out the filth of sin, okay, it does help to change a person. It helps to purge out the filth of sin, yet it is Christ's blood that washes away the guilt of sin, okay? Though repentance helps to purge out the filth of sin, yet it is Christ's blood that washes away the guilt of sin. Therefore, do not idolize repentance. Do not rest upon this, that your heart has been wounded for sin, but rather that your Savior has been wounded for sin. That's why the Puritans are so good, okay? This is the preaching that needs to happen today. This is what people need to understand. This is what people need Ah, oh, people that go to churches that aren't hearing the preaching of the Word of God, and they love the music, and they're happy about the children, and they're so, whatever it is, you're not hearing the preached Word of Christ. If you're, pa sorry, you got to open the Bible, you got to read it, you have to expound it, and it has to be about Jesus and His blood, but this is good. Therefore, do not idolize repentance. Do not rest upon this, that your heart has been wounded for sin, but rather that your Savior has been wounded for sin. When you have wept, say with him, Lord Jesus, wash my tears in thy blood. That's just beautiful. All right, so lastly, 
Comfort for the repenting sinner. Two, just a little bit here. All right. <clears throat> Has God given you a repenting heart? Know these three things for your everlasting comfort. One, I'm just going to read them first and we'll look at them. One, your sins are pardoned. That's pretty amazing. Two, God will pass an act of oblivion. <laughs> there we go. Um, three, conscience will now speak peace. So your conscience can even be freed from this. So forgiven and set free. PRC does a um, Bible study for um, people who have had abortions or participated in some way in the decision. And they are... Um, able to go through and, and see how do you um, not only seek forgiveness, but um, um, experience that in your heart. So, one, sins are pardoned. Um, whom God pardons, he crowns. This is Psalm 103. Um, who forgiveth, <laughs> it's hard to say, who forgives all thine iniquities? Who crowns thee with loving kindness? And then Luke 7. A repenting condition is a pardoned condition. Christ said that a weeping to, to that weeping woman, thy sins, which are many, are forgiven. Okay, so pardoned, forgiven. If um, somebody, you know, presidents pardon people, they're set free. So that's the deal with that. Have you repented? God looks upon you as if you are not, as if you, ha, have you repented? God looks upon you as if you had not offended. That's, that. I mean, not only, you know, we'll have people that repent, Tell us they're sorry. It's very difficult for us to treat somebody. It may take a very long time, and then we're able to treat somebody like they've never um, sinned against us. But God's able to um, to handle that kind of thing better than, than we. Um, a repenting condition. Da, 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 here it is. He will now bring forth the best robe and put it on you. God is pacified towards you and will, with the father of the prodigal, fall upon your neck and kiss you. This is all because of the blood of Christ. Uh, uh, when a spring of repentance is open in the heart, a spring of mercy is opened in heaven. Two, God will pass an act of oblivion. He so forgives sin that he forgets. Okay, this is a covenantal remembrance. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 34, I will remember their sin no more. Um, I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant. Uh, the Lord's table, we do this in remembrance of him. So in that sense, it's not that God, you know, you say, um, you know, John did these sins. And God's like, what, 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 what? You know, like he really can't remember it, but he acts as if it never happened. He forgets it in that sense. So if it's to be brought up, there's nothing there. They open up those books that have all these things against you in it. It's blank. And not only is it blank, but the righteousness of Christ is written in there. Everything he did gets credited to your account. It's good news. All right, so he also, um, the Lord will never upbraid you with your former sins. God has cast your sin into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19. How? And not as a cork, but as a lead. That's cool. You know, you, you cast your, <laughs> you know, okay, so you, you know, some things float and some things sink. So, you know, if he's, he's cast your sins into the ocean, the deepest ocean, well, that's fine. But if it floats, you know, he knows how to find it. No, it sinks, it's gone. And I'm not going to bring them up anymore. It's the point he's making. And he, elsewhere, as far as the east is from the west, you'd have to do a complete turnaround. And God will not do that. Um, the Lord will never, in a judicial way, account for them. When he pardons, God is as a creditor that blots the debt out of his book. Isaiah 43, 25. 
Some ask the question whether the sins of the godly shall be mentioned at the last day. Now, that's a good question, you know, because we're all afraid uh, that big, at least I grew up thinking, you know, the big widescreen giant TV that everybody's going to be watching uh, in the whole world and seeing your sins played out and how shameful and embarrassing and awful. Um, you know, and if that's what fears you, but we aren't ashamed of the fact that God already sees um, you know, we don't, we don't understand. But So here's the question. Will the sins of the godly be mentioned at the last day? The Lord said he will not remember them, and he is blotting them out. So if their sins are mentioned, it shall not be to their prejudice, for the debt book is crossed. Okay, three. Finally, conscience will now speak peace. Oh, the music of conscience, he writes. The repenting sinner can go to God with boldness in prayer and look upon him not as a judge, but as a father. Luke 6.20 He is born of God and is an heir to the kingdom. He is encircled with promises. He no sooner shakes the tree of the promise, but some fruit falls. To conclude, the true penitent may look on death with comfort. His life has been a life of tears, and now at death all tears shall be wiped away. Death shall not be a destruction, but a deliverance from jail. Thus you see what great comfort remains for repenting sinners. Luther said that before his conversion he could not endure that bitter word repentance, but afterwards he found much sweetness in it. That that's pretty pretty good. So a non-believer talked to him about repentance. They can't stand it. But afterwards, it's sweet to be able to repent and to know that God forgives and leads forward. Um, all right. So we also are having a big yard sale here. So we've been going to estate auctions and stuff too. So um, there's going to be good stuff there. And lots of people are donating lots of good things too. The date of said... Yard sale is March the 14th, and it's going to be here at the church. So if you'd like to come out and get some things, it's going to have a, we're going to have a bake sale too. So come out to that. It's going to be good. Again, leaving soon to go to Haiti. We look for some um, uh, videos, some pictures. I'm going to try to do some interviews. We're going to start doing a regular interview thing on um, on some of these. So uh, I'll put all these also on um, uh, podcasts. So if you search for uh, 2nd Street PCA, that's where you can find uh, the sermons and that kind of thing. Uh, this, you just uh, search for um, Theology Thursday Live, and you have to type it like that, and uh, you can find that. And then we're going to do one called Reformational Reality, and that's going to be where we interview people and talk about you know different things they're doing in the gospel and the world, how um, God's working in different people's lives. And so I've got a lot of good ideas with that. I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun and informative and encouraging. So anyway, um, I just, I'm going to bow over my cold. So keep praying for that for me, please. I had a root canal yesterday just in time. Um, I had to, didn't want to end up it's a dental clinic that they're doing in Haiti and, but they do a lot of extractions. So I wasn't Sure, that was what I wanted to have done there. So anyway, I feel all right now. So um, anyway, pray for us. Find a church that believes the Bible. Get to be a part of it. Find your gifts. Serve in it. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. All the more as you see a day approaching. Okay. God bless. <laughs>